Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. dates for my July comedy calendar. Tomorrow, Tuesday, July 13th, I will be at Kelly's Olympian in downtown Portland, Oregon. It's a show that I am producing and hosting myself. The lineup is killer. We got Simon Gibson. We have Kelly Ryan. These guys are beasts. They're hilarious. So please come to this show. The ticket link is on my website on hj.com. I will be at Side Yard Bar and Grill on Wednesday, July 14th. That's also in Portland, Oregon. Friday, July 16th, I'm going to be back in L.A. at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank for a 9 p.m. show. And then I'm going to be at the Hollywood Improv at 1030. Tickets for both shows are on my website. And on Thursday, July 22nd, I will be at the Comedy Chateau 8 p.m. show in North Hollywood. You can get tickets on the Comedy Chateau website. And then on Sunday, July 25th, I'm going to be doing a brunch show in Alhambra at Rick's Burger Joint. It's got to be a clean show because it's a family restaurant. So it's going to be challenging for me. I'll talk about like animals or something. I'll figure it out. I want to say right here and now and put it out into the universe and to all my aliens and my ancestors and my gods. I want David Cho to be on my podcast. I invite David Cho to be on K-Drama School podcast. I want him to be my podcast guest. I don't think he did a podcast appearance um, that's hosted by a Korean American woman who lives in LA. I don't think he did this just yet, but I think the time is now. So David Cho, please be a guest on my pod. I want to have a conversation with you. I think it will enrich us both. I'll also say right now that uh, this is going to be a very long episode. Okay. This is going to be a very personal episode. I'm going to be diving in deep. So if you are tired of hearing my voice, then you know, you could skip this one. All right. Just come back next week. I'll also say that I am David Cho's protege. He didn't assign me that title. Okay. It's not like a Jay-Z Rihanna kind of situation. I'm assigning myself that title. Okay. So I'm technically not even his protege, but I am. All right. Because he and I are of, we are, we are kindred spirits. Okay. I'm going to get personal with you. That's the whole theme of, David Cho. That's the David Cho experience. That the, that's the DVD ASA experience, okay? Much like David Cho, I'm also an artist. My primary mode of artistry is stand-up comedy and writing. I'm also a filmmaker and a painter and a podcast host. And I'm also a psychonaut, okay? I'm very much into psychedelics. I'm a believer of it. I believe in its healing. I believe in meditation. I believe in therapy. I believe in tapping. I believe in spirituality. I believe in in healing and good and getting closer to our inner being. I share the K-Rage that David Cho speaks of. That's something that all the Korean Americans talk about. Like I heard Bobby Lee mention it. I heard Steve Lee mention it. I have it in me and K-Rage challenges me daily. So that's why I meditate and that's why I journal 
to keep myself aligned and in check and nurtured and soothed. That doesn't necessarily mean that I succeed every day. I still, I still do fuck up. I have deep seated self-loathing and I have this inner being that speaks wisdom, love and joy and truth. And those, those things, they war inside of me daily on a constant, okay? So those one-act plays that Cho does all the time, especially nowadays, like that performance art simulation pieces when he talks to himself and plays the other side, that's something I've been doing my whole life, like all the time. Those are voices that, are, that become my stand-up. They become my books, my essays, these monologues that I share here. They plague me. They plague me when I'm driving, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm sitting in my bathtub, when I'm taking a shower, when I'm shopping for groceries, when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. They plague me on a constant. But they're also, they're also my content. They're also my material. The more aligned I am, the more in tune I am with myself, the smaller those negative voices get. The more quote-unquote success that I find, those the social success that I find in life, like monetarily, intellectually, or, you know, cultural currency through people, right? If I find success through those things, then those negative voices get louder inside my head. And then I have to code switch them into words of love and affirmation, because otherwise it becomes unbearable. Otherwise it's like unlivable. So I war with those voices when I'm painting a lot too. And, and, Anyway, what I'm saying is like those David Cho monologues that he has with himself, like they're very familiar to me and they're not weird to me at all. I listened to the Cho interview, uh, the 2014 David Cho interview that he had with Joe Rogan. And he sounds in that interview very similar to how he sounds in the 2020 interview he has on the Joe Rogan experience, but they're also radically different. Like in the 2020 interview, David Cho sounds healthier and happier and calmer. Um, he's also like from what Joe Rogan observes like weirder, but I didn't find it weird. I thought it was amazing what he was doing, you know, like checking himself and stopping himself and bringing himself back down whenever his ego gets like flared up. Um, and then in the 2014 interview, you hear David Cho's like, you know, intense ego flare ups and the rage, the shouting like those moments scare me. But they're also very, very familiar to me. I recognize them fully because I have them in me too. All of us have it, okay? Rageaholics are not addicted to rage. Like, I am in some ways a rageaholic, and I'm not addicted to my anger. I hate being angry. I hate raging out. I hate losing my temper. I hate hurting other people. Every time I, every time I lose my temper, I hurt somebody. I... I deal with the consequences. Like I beat myself up about it like crazy for like days or weeks or years after that. Rageaholics are addicted to the righteousness that they feel. The adrenaline of the feeling that they get when they are right and fuck everybody else. Today's episode of K-Drama School is going to be a deep personal deep dive. All right. It's going to be different from the other episodes in that I'm going to really indulge myself with self-examination and exploration through the Cho Show. Um, it's also me being honest and vulnerable and raw with you, okay? And that's, that's something that I feel now ready to do, okay? So trigger warning to all of you. I'm going to be talking about all the fucked up things that I endured, all right? 
Um, the other difference is that the Cho show is not a K-drama, okay? It's not a K-drama from Korea, but it is a K-am drama. It's a Korean-American drama, all right? It's, it's a talk show, but it's got this Korean variety show element to it. Um, it's got talk show elements to it. It's got podcast elements to it. It's got mixed media collage elements to it. It's a hybrid media form. It's a hybrid of home video, just video, music video, cinema verite, television, okay? But it really does remind me a lot of South Korean variety TV shows, which are comedic, but they're also extremely emotional. And like a lot of people cry while, while watching South Korean variety TV shows. And, and, and South Korean variety shows also share this quality of like the hyperkinetic energy and aesthetic that the Cho show also has. If David came on this podcast, I want to ask him, what kind of Korean TV shows he watched growing up. And I know that he watched some Korean TV because he has a Korean mom and he grew up in LA. So it's inevitable to watch Korean TV. I want to ask him how he came to forgive his parents and whether that forgiveness stays with him consistently or if he has these moments of rage and anxiety and depression and sadness that come and attack him every now and then. And if it does, then like, how does he cope with that? I want to ask him to describe his ayahuasca experience again, because the one that I listened to on his pot uh, on his YouTube, I, I guess on his podcast, it sounded funny, but like, I know he experienced more than that. Like, it's just the, innumerable kinds of visions and sounds and realizations and lessons that you experience through a trip is like, I mean, one episode on YouTube is not going to cover it. Right. So I want to ask him more to get deeper with me. Um, his trip actually sounds similar to my early stand-up bits. Cause like he was talking about how he was like questioning these hilarious things like, Oh, like Asian women have, small vaginas because Asian guys have small dicks and da 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 and like I have this bit that I used to say early on in my stand-up where I say like I have very big hands so I must have a big vagina but then that's a lie because I'm Asian so how could that be so I want to ask him I want to ask him about his ayahuasca trip I want to ask him what his experience was like in Korea every single time he went if he ever went and what kinds of encounters he had with Koreans or fobs like I want to know everything Right. I want to ask him what it means to be Korean to him. I want to ask him what it means to be Korean American to him. I want to ask him if he feels any regret or pain for objectifying women because I'm on the other side of this. Like right now, I don't have sex with anybody. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink coffee. I have very few vices. Okay. I stopped having sex in 2019 after hooking up with some random stranger at a club in Berlin in the bathroom and it was my birthday and I was shit face blackout drunk. And the next day I was like, just so ashamed of myself for putting myself in such a precarious and unsafe position, right? To put myself at risk like that. And I vowed never to have sex with a stranger ever again. Not that I did a lot in the past. Like, I think I only had like two one night stands in my life. And I vowed um, more recently through like a friend's advice who told me, Moni Zhang, like she, she was on my podcast, she advised me not to have sex with anybody early on in the relationship and to really take time to get to know each other and have a foundation bec before becoming physically intimate. And I'm so down with that. Like that's great advice, right? Like all our Christian mothers were correct, right? But now I'm in a place where I'm like, I don't even wanna have sex with men anymore. Like, I think I'm done. Like, I, I think I'm more like a pansexual now. Like, I, I think I want to, you know, 
be physically intimate with queer folks. Like I feel increasingly more identified with being non-gender binary in a lot of ways lately. And being feminine is so not my priority right now. Like I feel extremely feminine at times and I love feminine things, but I'm also very masculine. And all my boyfriends in the past used to shame me for my masculinity. You know, they hated it. They'll be like, why are you such a guy? Like, why are you like that? Why can't you be, you know, sweeter and more girly? And they used to shame me like crazy. Like they wouldn't let me be me, right? So that's why I would have to get shit face drunk in order to be around them, you know? But I'm masculine. And I will say right now proudly that I love that about me. I love that quality about me. I love feeling strong and confident. And I, I love feeling at home with myself in my masculinity. When my mom signed up my younger brother for Taekwondo classes when we were kids in Brooklyn, um, she signed me up for ballet. And I was really jealous of my younger brother because I wanted to learn Taekwondo instead. Instead, I had to learn this bullshit useless flexibility and ballet like what is that what what good is you know knowing how to do splits for what other than like making men want me more like splits are only good for fucking so that men will get off on it that's all it's good for as far as i'm concerned okay i think it's fucking stupid i had to like hold a fucking tambourine in my ballet tutu for photographs like what the hell does about like a tambourine have to do with ballet i it doesn't make sense. You know, being a girl felt stupid. Okay. So I think that's why I have this love for masculinity because like, it's just, it just seems more practical, you know, like learning Taekwondo, you learn self-defense, learning ballet, you just learn how to become um, more objectified, like easier to be objectified. That's all you learn. Okay. David Cho also talks about Han in the 2014 episode of the Joe Rogan experience. And Han is a very contested subject, okay? So like a lot of Korean Americans and Koreans will like throw around the word Han like willy-nilly and say that like, you know, it's something that all Koreans have and it's a very Korean thing. But like anytime any race or ethnicity is essentialized, okay? If an experience or a characteristic is essentialized to a race or ethnicity, that needs to be questioned, all right? Because that is a, there's a very fine line between essentialism and racism and, you know, pure bloodedness and colonization, you know, and enslavement, da, 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 like all of that, all those problems come from essentialism. Okay. Like as a scholar and a theorist, that's something I learned and that is what I know. So Han is a contested topic. And it's also contested among Korean studies academics because Han is found everywhere. Okay. You find Han in China, in Spain, in France, in Japan, in Vietnam, in Cambodia. Han is everywhere. Okay. So we all have Han. It's not just exclusive to Koreans. We all have it. And the ones who are plagued by Han the most are artists. Okay. Artists know how to confront their Han, they know how to war with it, they know how to wrangle it, they know how to turn it into art. And the ones who can confront it face on are the ones who suffered a lot. Okay, so Han is associated with suffering. Han just means deep-seated anguish. It can be called angst. Okay, it's deep-seated rage, pain, sorrow. That's what Han is. Okay, so uh, artists, we suffered, we suffered family dysfunction molestation, spiritual abuse, psychological and physical abuse. Like I suffered all of these things, all right? My parents beat the shit out of me. My parents were highly manipulative. 
My parents were negligent, okay, which led to molestation. Uh, I grew up in high dysfunction. My parents were abusive towards each other. I suffered spiritual abuse from them and from the Korean American church I went through, okay? So we lived through these things as Korean American artists. We lived through hell and we stand in front of a mirror and we say to ourselves, it's a fucking miracle that you're standing here right now brushing your teeth after everything you've been through, right? And that's how we know. That's how we know that we're an artist. That's how we know that we're supposed to be here doing the things that we do. I identify with David Cho in that I was molested when I was a kid. David Cho can't remember his molestation experience, but I remember mine. It was a repressed memory for eight years, and that and it came to me when I was 12. Okay, I was reading this book called Before the Knife. It's about a girl who was sexually abused as a child. And as I was reading this book, I suddenly got the language from this book, right? Sexual assault, abuse, molestation. These are the actions and these are the words associated with it. And then it clicked, right? Because I used to have these like flashbacks and dreams and these like memories that would like peak up and go away, but I didn't understand what they were. Like I, I had them all throughout my childhood. And as I was reading this book, I was able to name what I went through, right? I was molested. So like David Cho, I also suffered a lot of manipulation and abuse from my parents. They were poor immigrants. I'm also an immigrant. I was not born in the United States. I was born in Busan, Korea, and I moved to Brooklyn when I was five years old. My mother is a good person, but she doesn't know how manipulative and abusive she can be at times, how she was at times. And my dad is this egomaniac. He probably has bipolar disorder. He probably has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, un undiagnosed. He is definitely an addict. Okay. He's an alcoholic and he found Jesus Christ after his DUI, which he got in Brooklyn when I was six years old and he became a religious fanatic. Right. So the Korean American church that he dragged me to and, and me and my whole family to in, in New Jersey twice a week, every single week for 13 years, that church was extremely abusive. Everybody at that church, like all the adults, all the older kids, they all hated me. They teased me. They bullied me. They hit me. They told me I was a fucking idiot. They told me I was loud. They said I was obnoxious. They said I'm unlovable. They said I'm hateful. They said I'm a disgrace. They thought I was a mentally disabled person. And, you know, my parents would just say to me, especially my dad, he would say to me, why are you like this? Why can't you change? Ask God to change you. Pray to God to change you. And like, as I'm getting older, right, as I'm getting closer, as an atheist, as I'm getting closer to my inner being, my inner God, as I'm getting closer to, you know, Christ and his teachings, I learn more and more that getting closer to my original self, finding my way back to my original self, and forgetting all the lies that these, you know, authority figures have said to me all my life, like that is finding God. That is finding love. That is finding healing, okay? I remember in that Korean American church being around a lot of talented people who were very artistic and they all squashed their artistic dreams. Like they didn't even consider it, right? Like we were doing skits and we were dancing and singing all the time and playing music. And they all thought it was like stupid. They thought it was stupid waste of activity or time. They thought none of this was like ever going to translate into a career at all, but they were immensely talented. So, but they would squash it because they were like, oh, we need to all go to Rutgers and become a pharmacist. Like so many of those bitches went to Rutgers and became pharmacists. Why? Because if you're a pharmacist, you can make six figures in the first year. That was their only goal. 
It was financial stability. That was the most important thing. Jesus wasn't the most important thing. God and love, none of those were the most important things. They showed me through their words and actions that those things were not the priority. And they showed me by telling me all the time, like, you should change. You're stupid. You should study harder. You know, you're, you're, you should be more competitive. Why are your SAT scores like this? Why are you a fuck up? Why are you so loud? Why are you so sad? Why are you wasting time? Like, they, they hated the fact that they couldn't flourish and, and be artistic like me. Maybe, you know, maybe it was jealousy. Maybe it was self-hatred and self, self-loathing because they weren't allowing themselves to be the real them, which is a creative and beautiful being. All right. As much pain and havoc those people wreaked on my life, I still love that inner being in them. You know, I still love that inner talented being that's dwelling in them. And I hope that they all find their ways back to that. I became an atheist at age 22, right, I was, as I was graduating college um, with an English major and a philosophy minor. And I also had a Fulbright that same year in 2009 when I was graduating. And I told my dad that I'm an atheist. And he got so pissed that he attacked me. Like, he smacked my face. And then when I fell on the floor, he grabbed my hair. And then he smashed my skull against the concrete floor of our basement in our house. And I suffered this huge concussion. And my dad was abusive to my mom a lot, and he was abusive to me and my brother a lot. Um, and I was sick of it, so I called the cops, and the cops came. And I remember this. The sheriff and my mother both said, do not press charges. Like, what I needed was medical attention, okay, because I suffered this concussion. But the cops made me sign a document stating that I am not injured and that I do not need medical attention, all right? So they made me sign a document that lies, essentially, in order to protect my father, who was the aggressor, right? And I had vertigo for weeks. And to this day, I have vertigo, okay? Whenever I step into like a gift shop or like an antique store, places I love going to, I still get episodes of vertigo. So I had vertigo for weeks. And, you know, my roommate was freaking out because I couldn't, I couldn't, I was like immobilized. So my mom finally took me to a Korean physician. um, And she sat me she sat with me the whole time while I was with the doctor to make sure that I don't expose the truth to incriminate my dad. Because the physician is supposed to ask you, like, how did you get injured? And the doctor, who was my physician since I was eight years old, he was weirded out by all this weird tension and, like, my mom being super protective of my dad that, like, he didn't even bother asking further questions, you know? And he didn't even give me anything to help. He was just like, just drink water and sleep a lot. Don't look at computer screens. Like, that was his fucking recommendation right so basically all these authority figures around me who should have protected me they let me down okay and they gaslit me and told me that i'm the problem they said i'm the one that's in the wrong they said all of this was my fault right and they they victim blamed me they shamed me and when i told my mom about my molestation from a child like from when i was a child and when i also told her about the times that i was sexually assaulted as a young woman she blamed me she told me to get over it. And all my boyfriends from age 18 and onwards, like they all sexually assaulted me at least once. Okay. The person I dated in college was a church oppa. He was eight years older and he started wooing me when I was 17. And then when I turned 18 and I graduated high school, he gave me like a bunch of wine and then I got shit faced drunk. And then he had sex with me without my consent that night. And I was addicted to this man. Like, I thought I was supposed to be with him, even though he abused me. He 
kept telling me how he didn't love me, how he'll never love me. But, you know, he kept, you know, having dinners with me and kept having sex with me. It was like a fucked up, horrific, horrifically abusive relationship. And I cycled through multiple kinds of similar um, relationship cycles like thereafter. Um, So anyway, that guy, he was a rapist. Okay, he raped me. I will say it now. Um, this is my first time admitting that, but that's what he did. He raped me that night, okay? And he had no business um, abusing and, you know, victimizing and psychologically tormenting and trapping that young woman that I look back on and that I um, feel for and that I love, um, that I understand, okay? Um, I was addicted to drinking and I was addicted to being anorexic. I was addicted to being thin and I was addicted to be like, I was addicted to hating myself. All right. I hated myself all throughout my late teens and throughout my twenties. And I look at photos of me when I was um, younger and when I was that thin. Right. And I look beautiful. I look cute, but I have zero memory of any joy from that period because I hated myself so much. I was so self-conscious. I was so self-loathing and I let everybody around me rob me of my light. I let men take advantage of me. I let work people take advantage of me. I let my friends take advantage of me. I, I let myself just get raw dogged by the earth and the world. And so this is what I want to ask David Cho. Do you feel guilt for having done this to other women, women like me? women like your protege. And I'm I'm on the opposite spectrum of Dave in that I'm female, he's male. I'm a I'm not a painter, but I also am. I'm not a millionaire, okay? I'm flat broke and I'm on unemployment. David's not educated, but I have a PhD. Um, but when I watch the Cho show, I feel so much emotion. I see so many things I recognize. I feel so much love. And I feel like I'm reading a book made of mirrors and crystals when I'm watching that show. And there are these like refractions, but they're also reflections. And I feel so much love emanating from that show. I feel so much heart and pain. And I feel raw, honest truth from that show. It's everything that I would possibly want from a Korean American TV show. So thank you for making a Korean American TV show, a one of a kind show, the one that speaks to the core me. Uh, Dave and I share another similarity. He was abandoned by his parents at age four and sent away to Korea. The same thing happened to me when I was uh, around age three to five. So my brother was born when I was two years old and my mom said she couldn't handle taking care of two kids at once because my brother was very sickly. So my mom sent me away to my grandparents' house, okay? And that was the beginning of being sent away. Like I was not only sent away to my grandparents' house, but I was also sent away to my aunt's house and my uncle's houses. And this was all in Korea because I was born in Korea, right? So I remember clear as day. I was at my grandparents' house. I think I was four or five and I was on the phone with her and I was hearing my mom's voice. And I remember feeling a lump in my throat, like I wanted to cry, but I remember suppressing it as a child because I thought if I cried, I feared that she would never come and get me. Like I feared that if I did anything that they told me not to do, and the number one thing was don't cry, I thought they would never ever come and get me again. I thought I would be abandoned forever. And that feeling of forever, that stays with me 
and that I can see that that stays with Dave when I watch his show, when I listen to his podcasts. Like I see it and I recognize it and I understand it completely. You know, even though we're chasing after healing, we're chasing after higher vibrations and we're trying to level up, I still feel that fear deeply lodged in him. And I, I understand it so wholeheartedly. I confronted my mom when I was in my 20s about this abandonment. I asked her, why did you abandon me as a child? And she got really defensive and she denied it. So I kept pressing it. You know, I got angry. I was like, you abandoned me. Why did you abandon me? You abandoned me. You abandoned your daughter. Why did you do it? And after like 30 minutes of like yelling at her, she finally broke down and said, okay, I'm sorry I did that. It's because your brother was born and he was so sick and he needed me. And it was hard. It was hard for me. So that's why I had to send you away. And so let me tell you now, it was hard for me too. It was hard to be sent away. It was hard to be the one to be sent away. It was hard to be the one that was abandoned. When I was in my 20s, I went to the dentist in Korea. This was during my Fulbright year in Seoul. And the dentist looked at my teeth and he said, you have multiple cavities and it's going to cost like like $1,500 to fix it. And I had no money at the time. You know, Fulbright was paying me like, I think, $1,800 a month or something. Um, I called my mom and I asked her why she didn't take me to the dentist, not once throughout middle school and high school. And she said it's because my brother, again, she was like, your brother had really bad teeth and he needed ortho, he did a, he needed an orthodontist and he needed braces. And like, I remember like when I was a kid, like my brother had like electric toothbrush. He had an electric floss. He had like a toothbrush cleaner. Like his teeth was such a priority in the house. Nobody else's was, including mine. Like my mom never took me to the dentist, not once when I was in high school. So I remember screaming at her over the phone. I was like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And she's like, it's because your brother had such bad teeth. But it's not just because my brother had bad teeth. It's also because as a family, we didn't have health insurance. All right. My parents ran a small business together. They ran an art business together. Okay. They were selling retail art and frames. I mean, wholesale art and frames. Like, how is that going to make any money on eBay? Like, how does how is that going to afford us healthcare as a whole family? It's not. So my family is a victim of the system, the lack of healthcare in America. I'm a victim of neglect as a child. I'm a victim of child abuse. I'm a victim of the patriarchy. That's plainly obvious, right? That my mother loves my younger brother more than me, right? If she didn't, then why did she send me away? As a result of her sending me away, I got molested when I was age four by an old man. This happened in my aunt's neighborhood, okay? My aunt had grown children and like taking care of a four-year-old was not her priority. She hated having me around. So she like saw this old man in the neighborhood and she would like, go play with that old man. And that old man took me to his house, you know, which was full of his grandkids. And I remember him telling his grandkids to leave. And then he molested me in his room and he gave me candy in exchange for the things that he did to me. And I was a toddler. And this abuse happened because my parents sent me away. Um, I'll also say this, my parents who kept neglecting me all throughout my childhood, they paid a lot of attention to my younger brother, okay? They kept telling him and everybody else around us that he was a genius, that he was gifted, and that he was scientifically gifted and mathematically gifted. They bought him telescopes that, you know, us lower middle class family members could not afford, but, you know, they bought him that. They drove him down to colleges in Maryland to study with like lab rats and shit since he was in elementary school. And they would leave me alone in the house like for days on end without any food to eat. 
right? So that's when my eating disorder started happening or like my comfort through food started happening. My parents said to, um, my parents pretty much repeated what all the church people repeated. Maybe my parents are the ones who said it and then the church people caught on, who knows? But I remember my entire Korean American community always asking me why I was so stupid. They all said to me, they were like, you're stupid. They're like, you're so bad at school. You know, they were like, you're so loud and crass and, you know, you act out of control and you're so mas masculine and you're not a nice person. Like you're unpleasant to be around. Like they would all say this, right? And then I went to Pace University and I studied English and all of my professors told me that I was gifted. They all said, you're a good writer. You know, like Charles North was a poet in residence at Pace. Maybe he's retired now, but he was my mentor. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, Grace, I want to do an independent study with you. I want to be your mentor and do an independent study with you because you're a gifted poet. And he didn't, he didn't offer this to anybody else. He only offered it to me. And initially I said no, because I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't feel worthy of it. I felt weirded out by his attention. And then I remember talking to another professor and then the professor was like, why are you passing on such a unique opportunity? Like Charles didn't ask anybody else to do this. He asked you, like, why are you, why don't you accept his offer so i went back to charles's office and i said i will do it and i owe charles a lot because nobody else in my family and in my community believed in me. But he saw something in me and he took the time to tell, tell me that I'm gifted and that I'm talented. And he encouraged me. And it was that very small encouragement that made me thrive. And even though I was blackout drunk every single night in college, the one thing that I was consistent in was my studies at Pace. And I graduated with all A's and I got a Fulbright. <laughs> and I remember even after I got the Fulbright, like these church members that I was trying to get distance from they would like they showed up at my house for some barbecue and they were like i can't believe you got a fulbright like you <laughs> when i told my parents that i wanted to study philosophy and maybe go to law school they were laughing hysterically in my face they were like you're gonna be a philosopher you're gonna you you Jung you grace Jung, you're gonna become a philosopher what a fucking joke and a PhD stands for doctorate in philosophy. That makes me a bona fide philosopher. The fucked up thing is like, as a comic, I'm a philosopher, you know? All comedians are philosophers. And like, I love that I got to become their joke. You know, I manifested their joke. Now all I am is a joke. I take my, oh, fuck, these things keep falling down. I'm so poor. <laughs> You know, everything 
all my achievements, they just feel like jokes to me now. My PhD, people are like, how are you going to celebrate this? How do they feel? I'm like, oh, it feels like a joke, you know, because I have a doctorate now, but it's still pandemic and there's no employment. I'm on unemployment. I'm on food stamps. It's a fucking joke, you know? I am the most under-motivated academic that I know. I have nothing to prove. I don't believe in being the most intelligent person. All I believe right now is my heart. I just believe in my heart. My heart is the thing that tells me what I need, what is best for me. It's the thing that guides me. That's all I believe. I don't believe in intellectual acquisition and, and I don't believe that those are all the answers. I don't believe in that. I don't have sex anymore because I know how much men desire pussy. Like, I know I have the best pussy in the market because I'm Asian, okay? Men want this. They want this more than anything. And I'm not going to give it to them. That's my kink. That's my power. I get off on that. Withholding that from you who, who, who want this so badly, okay? I am not going to have sex with anybody who doesn't know how to respect my body and my mind and my heart fully. I'm never going to give them this gush gush until they know how to respect my body and my mind and my heart together. All right. You're not going to get any one of these things separately. You have to get it all. It's a full package deal. I'm never going to have children. Um, it's because I know I have the superpower. All, all female reproductive organs have a superpower. Okay. We can make a human being. That's a superpower. Men can't do this. Only women can do this. Men know this. They know how useless they are, okay? Farm animals, if they're a male farm animal, you know what they do? It They kill it, all right? They kill male-born calves. That's how you get veal, all right? Female-born calves are precious because why? They can produce milk and they will produce more calves, all right? So men know how fucking useless they are, right? One cup of sperm, one cup of male sperm can repopulate the entire earth. We just need female reproductive organs. We just need female bodies. That's all we need. We don't need men. Men know that they're useless. That's why men oppress women all the time. Okay? So female oppression is fear-based. It's fear-based from the patriarchy. Militarism is fear-based. All right? Women are gifted with not only the magic of creating life, but we also understand the earth better than men. Okay? Because women were gatherers right like we know plants we pass down knowledge we know how to cook we pass down knowledge my mom passed down knowledge of cooking to me all right my and that's passed down from my grandmother and i'm i i know that that is a wonderful thing women know medicine and herbs better okay they know how to take care of other women after giving birth or when their baby's ill like they they have these these folklore medical knowledge this intel all right. Women know how to survive and heal and love. All right. That's why I love women. That's why I love queer folks. That's why I love the non-gender binary folks. All right. I love anybody on the margins of anything. Okay. That's why I love David Cho. He's on the margins. All right. He's misunderstood a lot, but he's full of heart and love. And right now he's projecting it outwards like Jesus through TV. <laughs> it's like television is like the most psychedelic medium there is. Right. Um. David Cho knows that he has a God in him. I know I have a God in me. You have one too. That's why we say namaste, right? My inner being bows to your inner being. And Koreans bow always. That's how they greet anybody. They are always bowing, all right? Koreans are inherently greeting 
people's inner gods at all times. And we've been doing it for an eternity, right? And I love Koreans for, for doing that, for that recognition of the inner God at all times. Whether we know this consciously or not, we're doing it, right? And I loved David Cho's story in the 2020 Joe Rogan podcast when he says how um, his feelings were constantly hurt for the racism that he encountered in his life, not just in America, but also in Africa, like anywhere he went, people would tell him to go back to where he came from. And that hurt him. Right. And then he meets the pygmies. Right. And the pygmies look at Dave and they say, he's from the stars. He said, they say this, the pygmies say this to Dave Cho in front of this asshole German piece of shit who was like abusing him and driving Dave to like, you know, psychological murderous kind of thoughts, right? And Dave finally hears this. And I felt so happy for Dave, you know, that Congo Dave. Dave is from the stars. Asians are from the stars, right? Even the whites know this. They try to use it in a derogatory way by calling Asians celestials. Okay, so if you watch like 1930s Hollywood films, you hear this a lot. Like Chinese characters are always referred to as celestials. And celestial just means a, a being from the stars. So we are from the stars. You know, like if you're Asian, you're from the stars. Fucking embrace it. Yeah, call me a celestial. You think that's a, a racially derogatory term? I reappropriate it. I redefine it. I say I'm from the stars. Dave is from the stars. He's headed there. He's on his way to becoming a star. Okay, he's an ET. He's a fucking alien. He's evolved. He's evolving. He's on that path. All right. I want Dave on my podcast so I could congratulate him on his evolutionary journey and to tell him that I love his show and that I love him because I recognize me in him. Okay. Right. The belief that we're all one consciousness. Right. We're, we're just I'm just one part of it. He's just one part of it. You're just one part of it. Right. The Cho show is amazing. He, it's like an amazing show. He has wonderful, deep conversations with some of the most fascinating and talented people, right? They get really raw and honest. And I loved episode one when he talks to Rafael Reyes. And Reyes talks about his relationship with his father and the closure that he got through his dream. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I was crying a lot because I relate to that. And, you know, I'm a vivid dreamer myself. Like, my dreams guide me all the time. It's been guiding me my whole life, you know? And I, I love going to sleep because I get to dream, right? And I loved all the episodes because they, you know, of the Cho show, because they do this deep exploration of childhood and Cho's abandonment issues and Cho's desire to find healing and love and giving up on the lie, the narrative that suffering is necessary for art. This is not just a... This is not just a lie, like a hacky lie that like cliche artists come up with. It's it's also a neoliberal lie. Neoliberalism says this. American capitalism says this. Pull yourself up through your bootstraps. Suffering is good. The more you suffer, the greater your reward in heaven, right? And it's like, no, all of that is nonsense. It's not true. Having healing, finding healing, finding love, having joy you can still create beautiful things, all right? I know this to be true. I know this to be true because that's what I'm doing, okay? We can just feel love and joy and create beautiful things. Like, I, I want that to become the narrative, all right? We can still be funny. We can still be comedians while feeling love and joy. I know this. I did it tonight, you know? I, I had a show at the Hollywood Comedy. I fucking killed, all right? I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now, you know? 
you're all coming to my shows this month, this week, you know, and I like, I'm just, when I'm on stage, I'm full of love and joy for you in that moment, you know, and I'm like, right now, I'm more creatively jacked up than ever before. And I think David Cho feels the same way right now, now that he's finally coming to terms with his healing. And the term is you have a choice, right? You get to choose whether to be miserable or to be full of light. And now he's finally choosing the light. I love uh, Cho's podcast episodes when he talks to his inner superhero. Like I've been listening to that a lot. I think they're really funny and cathartic. It's really, it's a deep exploration and meditation on masculinity. And I'm all about that. My dissertation was on South Korean variety TV shows and masculinity and queerness. What's more relatable to American men right now than superheroes? You know, superheroes, they speak to nerds and jocks and everybody in between, right? And Cho is reimagining and reconstructing American masculinity through this podcast. And I think that's fucking amazing. And now that Cho has a daughter to raise, I'm sure that this confrontation is part of the journey of reconstructing American masculinity. He wants a better world with better men because his daughter's life is about to begin. And there are fucked up men everywhere. There are fucked up women too. But the fucked up women are fucked up because that's a byproduct of toxic masculinity and the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Godspeed to our daughters in America. To understand the Cho show, I think you need to understand David Cho's oeuvre. All right. So you have to watch his show in sync with all of his podcast guest appearances, DVD ASA if you can find it, YouTube episodes of of him talking, Vice episodes, watch his Instagram videos and stories. So like watching the Cho show is like this multi-dimensional experience, right? So in a way, David Cho is redirecting how we consume media as well. We're time traveling to his past selves through YouTube and podcast podcast episodes from ages ago and then encountering his present self and his you know retroactive uh at analysis of himself and his life um we're we're witnessing his reconstruction of of his past on his instagram and we're watching his tv show so it's like this real time stuff time travel stuff everything's constructed and mediated but it's like we see the arc of his evolution right so in a way, this this whole multi-dimensional media experience is a way of getting to know somebody through media, but closer to the real. Whereas before, what you saw on TV is something that you should never trust. You could never trust because everything on TV is like, you know, hyper-constructed, hyper-mediated, you know, premeditated and artificial. But like this this becomes something that becomes that's that's closer to being trustworthy okay we just needed to we just needed to do we we need to we need to experience the cho show the right way or or in a in a specific kind of way all right so my advice would be maybe maybe doing it the right way is also to do it after a psychedelic awakening okay post ego death maybe quitting your addictions all right what whatever they may be sexual gambling alcohol pot whatever it is okay meth whatever maybe quitting those addictions might be another part okay confronting yourself and your inner self-loathing okay maybe choosing to find healing acceptance and love and then delving into this world might create a better experience, a more fulfilling, satisfying, wholesome experience. That's just what I think. I think that would be the Cho way to experience the Cho show. 
I also want to say that everybody is mispronouncing David Cho's last name, including David. All right. It's actually pronounced David Che. Okay. When you see a Korean last name with C-H-O with an E at the end or a C-H-O with an I at the end, which is often mispronounced as Choi, it's actually Che. Okay. Everybody mispronounces Steve Yun's last name too. They call him Steve Yoon. It's not. It's Steve Yun. Okay. I want to make a t-shirt with the word Steve followed by a picture of a kite because Yun in Korean means kite. All right. Steve Yun's last name doesn't mean kite, but it's a homonym for kite. So I think it'd just be funny if you want to donate a thousand dollars and I'll set up shop with Steve Kite Merchandise for K-Drama School. Um, uh, I, I guess maybe saying that my unemployment application was approved as good news. So I'll be getting some of that welfare money soon. Um, it hasn't arrived yet, but it's there. I applied for food stamps, but I haven't heard back. I really need food stamps. Okay. Um, I did apply to three jobs this past month, but I'm not holding my breath on any of them. I'm kind of enjoying this break right now. I've been meditating a lot. I've been writing a lot, drawing a lot, painting a lot. I'm back into filmmaking a lot. Like I, I, I'm working on like two new films. And today I was talking to another guy and like, we're going to work on another film together. So that's exciting. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm getting closer to my good side, you know, and this means that I'm starting to notice people who I speak less to. Okay. So people I love, but people who recycle the same traumatic abuse that I put behind me. All right. Um, I'm visiting these people less and less. I'm talking to them less and less. And I think they feel it. I think they feel me pulling away and they're starting to get defensive. But I'll say right now, I still love them. Uh, I'll love them from a distance and I'll wait for them. You know, I want my friends who are addicted to toxic people and toxic substances to stop and to find themselves. And I want them to find the love and to get back to their inner being. And I want to sit with them and I want to meditate with them. I want to draw together. I want to have a nice conversation with them. I want to drink tea with them and I want to hear what their hopes and dreams are. That's what I want to do. And I also want to say right now that I love comics. Like I love comedians. I was at Unseen Contemporary. It's an art gallery on West Pico. They also have a location in Fairfax and Little Ethiopia and they host these open mics and I signed up for an open mic and there was about an hour to kill. So I started shooting pool because they have this pool table and three other male comics, they came in and we started shooting pool together and all of them were like anxious and self-conscious about sucking at shooting pool. Like none of us were particularly good. Actually, two people were good. Like the Koreans were good. Like I was good. And this other Korean comic, he was good, but everybody else kind of sucked, but we didn't care because it was fun. Right. But they were all very self-conscious. But the moment these comics, you know, got on stage, they were in control. They were super confident. They were cool. They were untouchable. Right. Fucking gods, like killers. Hilarious. I love them for that. I love comedians because they're vulnerable. I love their sensitivity. I love their hilarity. And I love their gentle, gentle souls. And I love that they're always seeking good. Okay. They always have good intentions and they have you, you know, you're, you're in their heart because they want to make you laugh. All right. That's, that's the comedian's favorite thing is to crack you up. And isn't that wonderful, right? David is a comic spirit too because he knows abandonment, 
Okay, he has codependency issues. He has people pleaser issues. Every comedian does. That's why we need the laughs. We need the sign of approval and acceptance because we were all rejected by the people that we loved and trusted the most. We were abandoned by our idols. All right, we were told that we're worthless. We were told that we're garbage, and that and that we believed them. We believed it when they said that to us, right? But when we perform comedy, that's us expelling that narrative and reclaiming our voice, taking back our agency. All right, and for that, I love comedians because comics are fearless. No authority is ever a threat to a comedian ever, and we're fucking funny and we speak the truth, and people listen because we're funny and we speak the truth. So we as comedians were gifts onto this world, whether you believe it or not. That's the truth to me. I'm grateful to me. I bow to my inner being. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for being a comic and an artist. And I love you. Today, I'm going to talk to Julieta de Geze. She's a comedian in Berlin, and she's one of my closest friends right now. And I talk to her often about deep stuff. And she was my guest co-host on this podcast in the first episode and in some of the other episodes. And uh, she was here from the beginning, you know, when I was feeling the most vulnerable and insecure about starting a podcast. And she's been through a lot these past months. Um, she had a surgery. She lost her father to cancer. Um, she experienced some heartache. But I love Julieta. She teaches me a lot of lessons just by being her sweet, wonderful, loving self. And I really owe her a lot of gratitude because of the support she offers me whenever I feel lost and down on myself. So thank you. And, you know, all of us are lucky to have good friends. And I'm really lucky to have a friend like her because she confronts me with truth when I can't face it. And that's why she's a dear friend. So let's talk to the very wonderful, beautiful funny, lovable Julieta de Geze. That's a nice top. <laughs> Thanks. I like it with the zebras. They had little zebras. Yes. Uh, I like yours. Fulbright Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Fulbright Korea. Did I'm they sorry, give you baby. a t-shirt in the, <laughs> the highlight place? <laughs> in the highlight place? Yeah. They put uh, your hair and they give you a t-shirt. <laughs> you don't know what Fulbright is, do you? No, I don't know. <laughs> it's all right. It's not that big of a deal. No, I feel it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. It's really, really what not. Why don't you explain it to me? <laughs> Why is it taking so long? <laughs> I, I, like, I almost want to, like, protect you from the knowledge of it. Like, it's just, it doesn't matter, really. Are you going to, if you do this, could you do this and and then, like... On the in the side, you could be like, Fulbright is this and this and this, and she should know about it. <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That is the truth. It doesn't matter. No, like, I mean, to briefly explain it, there was a senator named Fulbright, and um, he created this program where, like, um, like, like, American students go abroad to other countries on a Fulbright like fellowship or a grant or a scholarship and they just do like this exchange thing and um, in academia it's considered quite prestigious and a lot of people who get Fulbrights eventually go and get like Nobel prizes and shit but it doesn't matter for me because 
after I did my Fulbright, I was working three part-time jobs in New York City, <laughs> making $1,200 a month trying to get by. So all in all, it doesn't matter. I have a PhD from UCLA. I'm, I literally signed up for unemployment applications on Wednesday. Well, you're getting some matter. money. You're going to get some money. Well, I, I don't know. Not on Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. I signed up yes. for it on Monday. Oh. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get money or not. Like, um, a, a friend of mine, he recently signed up for unemployment last month, and he's still yet to receive any money. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to come in. Um, like, I've been let down so much <laughs> um, this past month that, like, I just don't even... What happened? I was going to make a joke and be like, buy a taxi. But, like, <laughs> you were like the most scary taxi driver ever. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> I want to go, please. <laughs> I know. I am kind of scary. I, I just, I accepted it. Like, um... <laughs> Like, this is a, a bit I'm working on. Like, my my uh, massage therapist, like, I went on vacation with my mom for eight days. Did I tell you Ah, uh, yeah, how was that? Yeah. Well, that's why I went to get a massage. Because, <laughs> yeah. And then my masseuse was like, oh, like, why is your back so full of tension? And I was like, it's because I spent eight days with my mother. And I was dead serious when I said it. And she was like, ha, oh, you're so mean. And I was like, I'm okay with that. Like. I am totally mean and I'm totally fine with that. I accept, you know? And that's mm -hmm. sort of been my like mantra the last like three months. Like whenever people are like, you're mean, you're a bitch. I'm like, I'm so fine with that. Like your <laughs> feelings are so not my priority right now. Like, <laughs> you should put it on a t-shirt. Your feelings, really, I don't care. Yeah, right under Fulbright Korea. Your feelings <laughs> don't mean shit to me. I have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm on unemployment. <laughs> Maybe if they give it to me. <laughs> That's a great t-shirt. <laughs> What an awesome t-shirt. I should sell it. No, it's yeah. just, yeah. It's been, it's been a, a complicated month for me, you know, because like I graduated and, um, you know, with nothing to show for, like no job prospects, you know, like I've been applying to jobs every single month since last year in August and every single job was a rejection. And uh, like people are congratulating me for finishing my PhD, but it doesn't feel like a big achievement. And I noticed that it's because whenever somebody says something nice to me, I always want to prove them wrong. You know, they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you did something great. You're awesome. I'm like, I suck. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? I'm the worst. Did you see how I fucked that up? You know, like, I always want to prove mm. them wrong. And then with But this... Wait, what if yeah. they say something bad to you, then you want to say something nice to you? Or it's only negative stuff? See, that's the thing. Like, if somebody insults me, then I, I will defend myself to the, like, to the end. So, like, I... You know, I've been doing this uh, GoFundMe campaign mm. fundraising for my short film because UCLA fucked up big time and they were supposed to give me $2,000 to pay my sound mixer. And then after I got the job done, UCLA was like, oh, just kidding. Haha, -ha, go fuck yourself. And <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have $2,000, you know? 
So I started doing this GoFundMe campaign and like within like three, four days, like I met my goal. Like people oh, were really generous and they donated. And with every donation I received, I would just feel immense guilt and shame, you know, same as when people compliment me. I just want to prove them wrong. Like I just kept feeling like I don't deserve this, you know, and I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, this is a real problem. Like, I didn't realize with such clarity that this was a problem, that I have a hard time accepting compliments, accepting kindness and care and love and support and mm. accepting nice things mm. because of my low self-worth. And I was like, this is something I need to fucking work on. Like, this was a big wake up call, you know? So, mm -hmm. like, I, I, I've been noticing opposites lately you know whenever there's one force there's always an opposing force that's going to mm. come at the same time no matter what but it's like i have a choice to pay attention to the good parts like mm. let me give you an example so you know tobias our, our beloved friend tobias hausa uh, uh, if we if we do this public we should be like beep <laughs> our beloved <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna censor it. Fuck him. He 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 uh, donated seventeen dollars, oh. and then he wrote to me on Instagram. He was like, "I I was gonna donate twenty, but I took off three dollars because you used my toothbrush the last time you were at my apartment, which is true. I used oh. one of his toothbrushes, and I used his deodorant." <laughs> Remember, it was the night when I was staying with you and we went to the sex oh, club. right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used his toothbrush and his deodorant. And he was like, and I, I, was like I took out, took off $3. Like, he was saying it as a joke, right? And I was like, I was like, I love how, like, petty you are. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but, like, speaking of petty, right after his <laughs> donation, I saw somebody had donated $5. <gasps> the the it was that was the lowest amount that was donated i'm talking like all my comedian friends who have zero money all my grad student friends who have zero money like the poorest of the poor they've been donating like twenty dollars thirty dollars forty up to fifty to a hundred dollars okay like the poorest friends of mine have been donating that much money and somebody donated five dollars and i looked at the name and it's one of the ucla administrative staff members who fucked me over she donated i mean she donated five measly dollars. I, I almost wanted to give that money back to her and be like, shove this up your asshole. Like, go buy a latte with this five dollars and shove it up your ass. And, um, like, I, you know, with each person who donates, like, I write them a really heartfelt Aww. email, like a personalized I, I missed email. From, <laughs> I, I, want to, I now wanted to donate because I missed it. No, no, when, it's okay. you, when you say like go find me i was like what are you talking about <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, we're having this time no so like <laughs> in my email to tobias i was writing about how i wanted to like you know tell this lady off and like tell her to take her five dollars back and buy a latte and shove it up her ass and go fuck herself and how she's the reason why that this is all happening and but but then i was just like see like that's that's the old grace you know like post pandemic lockdown grace who was like working on herself and trying to be all zen and trying to focus on the good and blah, you know that grace wouldn't do that she wouldn't so what are you looking at you're so distracted right now what the hell are you looking at porn please tell me you're looking at porn i am <laughs> i um, trying to make you bigger but i keep putting myself bigger <laughs> so I'm like I'm so pretty and like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, 
I know. What I do is I I, I okay, move back. <laughs> I move the browser window so that my face is totally hidden and that I only see your screen. Oh. That way, I'm not distracted by looking okay. at myself. Okay, now I'm good. I'm, I'm not <laughs> great. Perfect. <laughs> Fuck my life. I'm telling you this okay, fucking so story. And wait, you're wait, like, but okay. I so you. What did you write to this person? You didn't write to this person. I I'm didn't say write something. to her. I just wrote to Tobias like what was going through my mind. <laughs> And, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't remember fully what I wrote. Asked Tobias. Uh, he has the email. But um, anyway. You wrote it, even. <laughs> a lot of the things I write, I don't remember afterwards. Like, that's sort of the beauty of it. Like, I write them this heartfelt email in my full present moment, and then it's gone. And then I move on. So that's why it's a gift to them, you know? And, like, I'm not saying that, like, you know what? I am saying it. I'm saying I'm a gift onto this fucking world, okay? Like, I don't have a lot of things. I don't have money. I don't have power. But I worked all my life at words, you know? Like, I'm a writer, and I consider myself a decent writer. And words mean a lot to me. So that's the most meaningful thing I have. And that's what I'm giving to each donor. And... Like a couple of people wrote back and they were like, they were like, oh my God, I was like crying reading your email or I was so moved by your email. And I'm like, that's enough. Like, I'm happy that I was able to uh, give them something that was emotionally impactful. So, so that's anyway, nice. what I'm saying is you missed out by not donating to my campaign. Yeah, I didn't and get I a like, fucking email from it. <laughs> yeah. And I would be like, oh, she wrote this email. It was so pretty. And he's like, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Fulbright doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters, man. No, I did write an email recently because. Uh, really? Wow. Because, uh, well, I, I got some things. I got like, I had my grill at uh, So I went to pick up my grill. Also, like, I wanted like a recommendation letter that he owed me. Uh, so I did all that. And then at the end, <laughs> this mm. is what I really wanted. Because I um, basically in did a podcast with the guy that accused me of oh all of that God. i know and um makes her all the more lovable i mean to be honest like i i was okay with her um even though i know that she uh, did that to you i was like well it's okay she's yeah. okay but then recently she's been so aggressive like but i, I saw uh, her it, a couple of times you yeah 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 and I, I saw her a couple of times and i was like whoa what's going on with you um yeah, I was. Uh, we were um, basically after a mic. She, the first mic that I did, of she kind of like got with us with the group. Okay. Uh, we, I was with Tobias and Amanda, and yeah. she got with us, and I was like, "Fuck," uh, because I didn't want her there anyway. Um, <laughs> and then she. Do you want she, all this on the podcast? Oh or no! Or am I editing this out? You should edit this out. I'm just okay. telling you. Okay, okay, you're just sharing. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, should I? <laughs> no, no, no. We don't, we don't want to spread it and, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is just you being personal. I'm going to cut all this out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, basically, we were um, cheering, like, whatever. Yeah. And she was, like, having a hard time opening her uh, bottle. Yeah. And I said, like, oh, you're ruining the moment. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's true. Yeah. And she was like, fuck that. I'm not ruining the moment. I'm owning the moment, bitch. Like, something <gasps> like that. <laughs> And I was like, cheers. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you know what? You could put it, this on, but you could tell it like stuff don't put it on and like maybe this with you you could bleep it you could bleep I'll bleep the names <laughs> yeah um so uh, anyway she did like this uh ah she got kicked out of her house anyway uh, for being a bitch <laughs> yes basically i think that's what's happening um and then uh, so yeah she did this she has a big this. chip on her shoulder what does that mean like she has some kind of insecurity that nags at her all the time and um She's very, like, overly reactionary. Like, the thing is, you say that, that she's being more aggressive lately. She's mm. always been that with me. Mm. So I've seen her for who she is, like, forever. So <laughs> none of that surprises me. All of that sounds, like, accurate. Anyway, yeah, continue. I mean, I, I was always, like, trying to be as... Because she runs show or whatever, like, trying yeah. to be as... But the, I realized yeah. she books me for things. She doesn't pay me. And, yeah. and and then she has all like always like mm, mm, male lineups and like whatever. Yeah, because yeah, she's a big slut. Yeah, I mean I, it's okay if you. Well, are, I'm so are I, you, but you it, know she fucks like every <laughs> single comedian ever. Yeah, I, I think I have. Um, Maybe she sees you as competition because she's a big whore, and you know, she's like, oh, like. But I haven't I, I, I haven't had sex with comedian in like six years. I think, <laughs> like, yeah. I, or I don't know. I, I mean, in, in Europe, but <laughs> I love that you're like, what? <laughs> in Europe. Yeah, okay, okay. okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I guess she's like a bit, yeah, she was trying to, to put me down. Like she was it saying like, like you're, you're an employee, right? You're an employee. Like it's a bad thing to be unemployed. And I was like, no, no, I have a job. So she was shaming you for being unemployed? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Anyway. It's because she's insecure. Yeah, it's not yeah. because there's anything wrong with you. As long yeah, as yeah, no, I can see it. It's like it's Good. she's so yes. obvious. It's like you yeah. can't, you, there's no hidden, you know. You can no. see like oh, she has issues. Anyway, she did this like podcast with this guy, and I heard it, and he was saying um, uh, that uh, basically he he lied. He, you could you could cut him a lie about the things that happened with me and the, with the things that he said, on whatever, and like the things that. So he he was saying kind of like the truth in the podcast, and but he actually lied to n and got you yeah. fired from your job. Yeah, I, that, this, I was like, I don't want my fucking job back. I just want you to know this and like. Right. And then I said bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I'm I'm happy that you expressed yourself. And here's the thing. Like, I don't mm. know for some reason. I don't mm. know why. But mm. before I logged in to see you today, mm. this was something that just kind of crossed my mind, like mm. around 10 a.m., just crossed. <laughs> what? <laughs> what am I doing? It's gross what you're doing. It's no, I guess I'm thinking like I put on like a lot of you're, cream, so I'm thinking about removing <laughs> dead skin from your neck and no, flaking it off while cream. I'm it's trying to it's tell just... you some. Oh okay, sorry. Okay. No, you're right. No, you, you know what? You have every right to do what you need to do. Uh, I, I should power through nonetheless. I'm a professional. I should know better. Yeah, do like a heckler in a comedy show. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's exactly what the fuck you are right now. And <coughs> so this is something that just crossed my mind very randomly right before I came to meet you. And I don't know why, but this is what went through my mind. I was like, I was like, Sometimes people will accuse me of something that isn't true. They're going to say something that misrepresents me, that is inaccurate of who I am. Does that matter? 
Or does what I know about me matter the most? And I was like, as hard as that is, like as difficult as that is, I was like, that is what matters the most. It's similar. It's like in line with what I kept saying. Like people are like, oh, Grace, you're mean. You're a bitch. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I know the truth. I know the truth is that I'm not mean. The truth is I'm not a bitch. Truth is I'm not hostile. I'm not aggressive. I am only me and that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything that people say in reaction to who, I, who and what I am is just a reaction and an opinion. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's not a fact. You know, mm-hmm. facts are, facts are not even facts, you know? <sighs> hmm. So I I was just kind of thinking about that, like very randomly. I don't know why, but maybe Mm. I was thinking about that because I was about to come and talk to you because Mm. that is the truth. It doesn't matter what the fuck this guy says to that purse, that woman on Mm. her shitty fucking podcast. It doesn't matter that your former boss now knows about this so-called truth or or whatever it is, whatever psychosis that this person is expressing, it doesn't matter because you know the truth mm-hmm. and I'm your friend and I believe you and I know your truth because I know you, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like when I know somebody, it, if I know somebody for who and what they are, they can do me no wrong, mm-hmm. literally. You know, they could like, they could do the worst thing. Like society would be like, that is the worst thing. And I would be like, yeah, but they can do no wrong because I know them, mm. you know? Yeah. It's like beyond like love. It's just, I know, I know who and what they're about. Like for, like, for example, um, did I tell you about, I, I think I told you about the, the kid I knew from college who committed suicide recently. No, <laughs> you didn't tell oh, me. I didn't tell you this. No. Okay. There was this guy I knew in college. He, uh, he was my roommate's boyfriend. Okay, and he was around all the time. I lived with this roommate for two years. He was around constantly, like always at our house, always eating my food, always drinking my booze, all these excuses. He had a he had a severe alcoholism problem, severe depression. He smoked weed all the time and um, kept dropping out of school. But his dream was to be a filmmaker. And so he and I connected on that. We would talk about films a lot. He introduced me to a lot of great films. Um, The first joint I ever smoked was with him. And he was like as annoying as he was with his actions because of some of his problems. He was actually a really good person. And I knew this. I always knew this, even though he and I stopped being friends eventually because, you know, his life was just in a disarray and I just couldn't be around that kind of unhealthiness anymore Mm. so we stopped being friends but I always knew that he had a good heart and then back in March I was scrolling through uh news the news I was reading variety and I saw his face and said it had said that he had committed suicide Mm. and it was so shocking initially but then I was like okay kind of like reflecting back on our relationship and our past together and I was like he and I had some complex moments you know but he was always a good person at heart and Mm. that's what I mean by he can do no wrong in that Mm. I know I I witnessed the goodness inside of him you know at the core of his humanity like saw it so 
that's always going to be there with me. You know, I will、mm. always think of him and remember him as a really, really good person with a big heart, you know?、Mm. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, you could do、mm. me no wrong, Huli. You know? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. But, by the way, I, I sent something for your house. <laughs> No, I'm just I don't know. I just wanted to do a joke and I couldn't do it. In, in, <laughs> yeah, I just like,、um, I think I even I, I understand, even though I, I know who I am and I know that I'm not this.、Yeah. Um, I just wanted to do some noise because this asshole did so much noise and created so、he、much、did. drama. He did. And he cannot fucking let it go because. No. Even though nothing happened, he cannot let it go. He's still、and、talking I, about it on podcasts. He's still talking about it on podcasts. So I was like, you know what? There's no reason why I shouldn't make noise, like, as well. Like, oh, and you、I'm、did it in a responsible way, privately through an email to your boss, former boss, and said, this is what he's saying. This is the truth. Yeah. You know?、uh, but then I got an email back automatically saying, hey, I'm going to be on holidays until the end of August. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's not going to read that. <laughs> May, you know what? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he needs some time. You know, maybe after the holiday, like, he'll be in a more relaxed state and he could read this email and he'll have more capacity to let it in. You know? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, he dies on the trip. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so tell me,、funny. what else is going on with you? You told me that you were feeling a little irritated lately. Oh, yeah, it's, it's happening a lot that,、um, with men.、Um, I'm getting a lot of,、um, what's the name of this? Uh, uh, attention, let's say, from the other opposite sex. Anyway,、uh, and I think it's because I cannot have sex until August, so everyone's like, oh, she seems very relaxed. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, I cannot have sex. I don't want to touch anyone. And then I was like, I want to touch her. Anyway,、um, So, I, I kind of like kiss some guy, and then it's like a, the roommate of a friend, and it was super nice. And then he like ruined it because he was like super pushy at the end. I was like, I'm going home alone. And he's like, What? No, let's go together. No, no, boopy, boopy. And I was like, I mean, I already said no. And, you, and then like, I got home, and then I got an,、uh, like、an Instagram from him, like a message saying, like, Oh, you're gross. You left me here. And I wanted to do this to you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ugh, gross. And he's calling and, you gross? Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I could tell.、Uh, I, I didn't tell in the time because I just met this guy. So、mm. I was like, he's trying to be funny, but he's like insulting me. So I don't want that. No, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, and then he sent me like a bug after that, even though I didn't reply. An hour later, he was like, no, I want to tell you you're great. And I had a great time. I hope I see you soon. <laughs> oh blah, blah, blah. my God. Yes, and I was like, oh my. And then. Wait, I didn't reply to that. Bam! Four days later, he sends me a message. Isn't it amazing? It's astounding how testosterone and hormones make a man a crazy person. Astounding. <laughs>、yeah. I was like,、um, he sent me a message. Hey, the, hey, how was your weekend? And I want to see you soon. What's up? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, look. <laughs> like, I didn't reply to anything else. But you're breaking my balls. <laughs> so, hey, what's up? I don't want to see you again. That's what I want. <laughs> yes! Oh my God. I love that. I、and、don't he, want to see you again. Yes.、Yeah. Yes. He, but it was so funny. He was like, oh, yeah, I got that 
idea. <laughs> you got the idea. And he's still <laughs> writing to you. So he clearly didn't get anything. Didn't get and then, anything. And then he was like, could I ask why you don't want to see me? <laughs> and then I said, I was like, I'm going to write. Look, I don't owe you an explanation, but I'm going to give it to you because I want I want to tell you how shitty you are. Oh my god. <laughs> and then I was like, you're very pushy, you're very pushy. You sent me this message, was not okay. It was a joke, was not appreciated as a joke. By the way, if someone doesn't answer your messages, stop pushing. <laughs> yeah. And you're very like, generous. You shouldn't have given him any of those explanations. I mean, you didn't I, have to is what I'm no, saying. I didn't have to, but yeah. to be honest, I was like, you know, I want to be I don't, I want to be as clear as I can with this human. Sure. He, but he, he, he this action that he had, yeah. I mean, his whole personality is a pushy guy, but oh. like this action um, ruin it. So yeah. uh, he was like, but you said you had a nice time in your day. I was like, yes, but by this, you ruined the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like we made a beautiful vase together and then you smashed it all over the floor and then <laughs> walked all dick. over it and bled on it. And then you, you took dick. a big shit on it for some reason. And then you put a baby on it and we're like, whoa, that's a baby. And you're like, that's I'm going to stomp on this baby. And we're like, why? Why would you do that? And you stomped on the baby anyway. And then you were like, why don't you like me? Yeah. And then another guy sent me <laughs> sent me another like he sent me a message long ago and he's like, "Hey, you want to go for a drink?" I met him like outside a comedy show or whatever and then he got me on Instagram. And and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm not in the mood for going to drinks with you, yeah. but I will let you know when I I want to." Yeah. And then he sent me <laughs> some weeks pass and then he sends me this huge message saying, Hey, I was thinking of doing this and this and this in your date. I really want to get to know you and know your kinks oh, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I said, thanks for your interest. I'm not interested. <laughs> so, Julieta, let me ask you something. Yes. Let me ask you something. When these guys send you, like, all these, like, desperate-ass emails and um, uh, DMs and stuff, and then you write back, like, no, but thanks, but no, how do you feel? Um, I mean, to get me to that point of writing that message, I'm very annoyed. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I want to... <laughs> yeah, you want to kill I them. just... Yeah, yeah I don't want to kill them. I mean, I mean kill, but with yourself. How do you feel with yourself? How with myself? What do you mean? Uh, when, you, when, when they're being all desperado, and then you're like, no, how do you feel with yourself? After a, um, I feel good. Yes. But I also feel like you should, I shouldn't have to do this twice. Yeah, you shouldn't have to. But besides the should, yeah. you feel good with yourself. Mm. Like, can I ask you why? Uh, it just it feels nice to be clear. Yeah. Like, to be as I, like, honest and clear. And it's like, I don't want to do, like, any more of, like, I'm busy when I'm not busy. Like, I, don't just, yeah. I want you to know, look, I'm not interested. Like, just let's keep yeah. this going. Yeah. Clear and yeah. honest. Yeah. I, I did get a, a message from a group, like a fan of comedy and he like uh -huh. asked me out. Uh -huh. And I was like, you're about to say groupie? You're about to say groupie, right? <laughs> yeah, I want to say groupie. But he, he's not like I come into my shows or whatever, but he, he, I did meet him there. Yeah, he's a groupie. <laughs> he's a groupie, yeah. And then um, he asked me out and I, I was talking with my boss because I was at, and I was like, I don't want I didn't I didn't know this guy and I, I need to reject him but I how do I do it and she's like just be honest because he will keep going at it if you're not honest 
Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I was like, hey, look, I'm not interested in like pursuing anything. I appreciate that you are interested and blah, 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 but they, not. And then he's like, oh, but I just wanted to know, it, it was not for dating. <laughs> I just wanted to, and I was like, is, this is not going to save you any shame. There's no shame on asking someone out. There it's isn't. okay. You're right. You, you have to be okay with saying, someone say no. I yeah. Mean, yeah to be vulnerable and then to be rejected and it's like that's okay i mean yeah. it won't feel okay for a while no but it also like i felt one time a guy uh, I, I asked a guy out and he said like like look i'm not interested and i was like this is shocking never happened to me and, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i did appreciate that it was done you know yeah there was no more, no more thinking about it thoughts and questions yeah yeah, the straightforward that's, honesty. Yeah. They call nice. it brutal honesty, but it's not brutal when it's straightforward and direct and you're not going to yeah. have any more fucking questions about it. Like, And they're like, Grace, you're so mean. I'm like, do you mean I am just direct and honest? <laughs> you know? People are not used to it. They're People not used are... to it. You're right. They're not used to it. I'm a straight shooter and they're not used to that because their parents didn't do that. Their friends didn't do that. Their community didn't do that. And I'm like, I am a gift onto you and the world <laughs> by being something that you've never encountered. I'm a new experience, man. Get down with the psychedelia. Open I mean, your mind. I guess because you are from the U.S. or like you're living in that situation, people are intrinsically, let's put nicer, like they're more like, yeah polite when they talk in the midwest blah. like where your sister is in minnesota yeah they're like that you know yeah um, that minnesota nice like yeah i heard minnesota that. nice <laughs> even in california and, they're like that but in uh in new york they're not they will fucking tell you to your face to fuck off or or that you're wonderful oh, you know that's nice yeah. yeah i heard i heard someone doing a joke about it it's like this is how in new york someone tells you that your bag is open it's like hey you fucking idiot your bag is open. <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> like when i was like 18 or 19 i was like 18 years old um, I'm like a, a baby, 18 year old girl. Oh, I'm standing. I'm standing at the Brooklyn Bridge, and it's so beautiful, right? I'm like you wanted to jump? Out. No, 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 no. I wasn't okay. that down and depressed yet. I was looking out, and I'm like, look how beautiful the, you know, the sight is. Look how beautiful this bridge is. And then I hear somebody go, "Get the fuck off the bike lane, you bitch!" And <laughs> and then I got punched in the back. What? Yeah, by a biker. And I was like, oh, my, I like crying on the Brooklyn Bridge while walking back. Off. It was awful. But yeah, well, um, I, do, I do feel like any physical unwanted contact is not okay. It shouldn't be. I mean, you can yeah. like curse some if you want to curse someone with words. Yeah, there's like a we can do that interaction. Totally. But like, I cannot punch you and then be okay after you punch me back. I know. <laughs> I know, especially like if you're gonna whiz by me on a bike and you're a grown man and I'm an 18 year old girl, like I feel like that's just not a fair fight, you know? Like it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. Like wait until I'm a grown man on a bicycle and then you could punch me, so I could come back yeah. and punch you back. Which is what happened next year. <laughs> <laughs> How things are going? Yeah, I'll punch him so so hard he'll fall off the fucking Brooklyn Bridge. 
you know. Oh, and then I will follow him into the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, off the Brooklyn Bridge, because you know, I don't want to serve a prison sentence for murder. No, no, I'm for I, that yeah. guy. It will be a murder suicide on the Brooklyn Bridge. A beautiful sight. Oh, that sounds like a good Netflix. You know, Netflix is doing a lot of like murdering <laughs> documentaries right now, and like yeah. murdering the Brooklyn Bridge sounds really cool. <laughs> you should try to. <laughs> I've been having so many nightmares this past week. I don't know why. It's not like I'm having a hard time necessarily, but like I've had a lot of nightmares this past week. It's weird. Um, But do you remember what it is? Is it like a repeated nightmare or it's different? uh, They're different. Like the other night, oh my God, I had this dream that uh, there were these like little like fish eggs of some kind that was supposed to be like on a sushi plate, but then it fell into a tank like a water tank inside like a, 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 sh- a kitchen on a ship and the ship was like moving around because it was a big storm and the chef was this old old man and he was like oh it's okay don't worry about it but when the eggs fell into the water it became all these like eels but the eels had like blue stripes like mackerel and they were like thrashing around and it was so scary And then the chef put his hand in it and he got bit and then he turned into a monster and he was like chasing me. <laughs> that was that was my nightmare the other day. Sounds bad. I yeah, it was stressful. <laughs> no idea what it means, but it was stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate nightmares. So, so let me ask you, is like my straightforwardness the reason why you almost didn't want to be friends with me when you first met oh, me? Oh, yeah. Now we're <laughs> We're getting full. <laughs> Get into no, the I, do, I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, because I was like, wait, how did I met Grace? Like, I don't because I do remember this incident, but I don't remember. I was like, how? I remember we met? how we met. Yeah, like in the picnic, in the yeah. women's picnic, the picnic, when like that group meant something. <laughs> because, like, <not laughs> that anymore. was like the only picnic ever. Yeah, the only picnic ever, and it was so like it really that group. Like no one, I I feel like so unsafe in that group, even though it's a women's oh. group. Because if you <laughs> so if funny. you post, but yeah, if you uh, post anything, someone that is not in your team, let's say, uh-huh. will say it to someone that you don't want them to know. Uh-huh. So it's like so it's not a, a safe environment. So I I'm understand. not posting anything. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, that's how it is. And then I yeah I remember like in the picnic you were like, yeah I. I used to get very drunk and do comedy. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wanted you to do a slingshot. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to put her early so she's not drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so that's why you didn't want to be friends with me? Because I said I No, that's not it. No, no, no. Uh, I was uh, okay with the drinking. No, because we <laughs> went for like, <laughs> we went for Italian food or something, I think one night. Was it the weird uh, pizza? The no, it wasn't. Th- no, it was at like that place that is in Hakisha Mark that has like the, the little lights outside and it's really cute Italian place has like different like stair like Okay. It's inside it's inside the the Wow, I have no memory of this. Okay. Of Continue. this half thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you were having I don't know what you were having I don't even remember that. I don't remember anything. I just remember you were talking and I was like uh looking at my phone a little bit and then you uh You grab my phone and they're like, I'm talking! <laughs> you just like 
Well, you didn't say it like that. You were oh. like, I'm talking, can you pay attention to me? Which is like totally fair. But yeah. then like, you like you put the, my phone really hard and I was like, oh no, I hope she didn't oh. break my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That is really shitty. No. No, but then you didn't break it. But then I was like, oh, she has like very strong reactions to things and I'm scared. <laughs> uh, but then after that, I don't know what happened. And then everything was okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, and yeah. I was like, oh, maybe okay. we shouldn't be friends. Um, oh, wow. I didn't, know I, I didn't know I slammed your phone down. I'm sorry. That's not cool. No, but it was, it was, um, I'm not, I'm not um, justifying, you know, physical harm to my phone, but yeah. <laughs> I was uh, disrespectful. But I that do is have disrespectful. Like a you're right. That's, <laughs> that's like really yeah, rude. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but then after that, I know when I saw you and everything was fine again. Yeah, I mean, I just noticed that, like, you know, you have a, you have a lot of grace in you. Like, you know, friends will... <laughs> friends will piss us off right like friends mm. do that but mm. you take some time to you know recoup and then and then you forget it and then you're fine so yeah i think that's like a um a good trait that you have i tend to hold grudges you know a lot <gasps> no i don't I'm do that to. i know it's my really bad used, my dad used to do that and he's like remember the time that you told me this and i was like that was 10 years ago <laughs> I was a baby. I was like, daddy. I was an infant father. My words meant nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Holding grudges. No, I think my, my, my brain cannot. Um, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do right now. This is the new thing that I'm trying. That's why I'm, I'm being honest with everyone that I can or like they ask yeah. me for honesty yes. because I was like thinking, I don't want to be thinking about what is bothering me for longer than this moment. Like, I don't yeah. want to be like, oh, she did this. So I have to remember she does this, but right. blah, blah, blah. No, I want to tell her that it, this is whatever. Because I, there was a situation where I had to put like, and it was this girl that I didn't really know. And I was like, oh, come on, girl. Um, <clears throat> and then, then other things happen. I like, I'm seeing this guy sometimes and he did something also that it, it annoyed me. So I was like, and it was like all in a one week. So I was like, I guess I have to be honest with all these people. If not, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. Yeah. It's yeah. the truth. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's brave of you. And it's um, hard to be honest with people, but it is necessary. Um, especially if you want to protect that relationship and maintain it for as long as you want. And also, if you want to have a fair relationship that has mutual respect and, and trust, right? Is like... Huh hey, listen, like, when you did that, like, that, uh, you know, I found that hurtful, and, you know, I just want you to know that, Yeah. you know? So yeah, I mean, I do, I'm not, do I feel like, every, I do feel like sometimes with friendships, you kind of, like, see things that you don't like, and instead of talking about them, like, you do in a romantic relationship, you kind of, like, in some sort of way, you're like, okay, we're done with this person, instead of, like, mm -hmm. actually... I do feel like some people do that and yeah. I'm like, well, but, but that's not like we all make mistakes. And if you talk about it and they, they keep doing it, then you're like, and it really bothers you, then, okay, maybe right. think about it. Right. But, but I think, well, for, when I told this guy that the things that he did bother me a little bit, but it's not a big deal. I just wanted to say them. He's like, oh, let me take you for dinner because I feel bad. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He bought me chicken. 
um yeah no i'm i'm just trying to gather my yeah, thoughts you're right like, now yeah you're thinking about a lot of things yeah there's a i mean you're saying a lot of important things that's why you know i mean f- well with the with the phone thing like i think mm. i was kind of repeating something that happened to me because i was talking oh. to uh, another friend of mine she was mm-hmm. she was part of the berlin comedy scene no longer but she's still a dear friend to me and i was i was looking at my phone when she was like telling me something and then she was like grace can you put your phone down and look at me when i'm talking to you <laughs> and i was like oh yeah sure you know and um that stayed with me because she was commanding respect which is okay you know that's fine um she deserves it but it was it was kind of you know it was kind of aggressive you know so i think that stayed with it felt aggressive to you that she it felt a little bit aggressive yeah 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 yeah. and and she was kind of like you know can you put your phone down and look at me because she needed to say something important to me and that is fine like it was it was an intense moment. Let's put it that way. It's not, it was not even aggressive. It was just an intense moment, and it was fine. Like it did, it did require that attention yeah. in the moment. So I think we I'm glad forget she got that. It. Huh? I, f- I feel I do feel like phones are so in our lives, or like yeah. that we always are looking at them. So I, it feels like something that you're like. Let's say like like I'm scratching my thing when you're talking. You know, yeah. I will be looking at my phone we cannot forget if you're not in the situation where you have the phone and you're like looking at the situation it feels irrespectful but it just feels like something else that you're like because you're not being fully present yeah that's what that's what annoys me it's like they're not Mm. being fully present also i have like abandonment issues and neglect issues so like when people (laughs) are looking at their phones while i'm talking i'm like they're not listening to me and that's very triggering i think that's Mm. why i got aggressive that day I I, i it's so weird i don't remember that Italian place at all, at all. I don't remember you those lights. It sounds like a beautiful Wait, let me, spot. No, no, it's okay. You don't have me. to look it up. You don't have to look it up. I don't care. I genuinely <laughs> do not care. But like, no, uh, I will send it to you because, but it's so cute. I, now it's like, uh, it's kind of close. They do like to go pizza, and then you you can take like little tiny bottles of April spritz, which is really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah. I used to have dates there. I really mm-hmm. like that place. Yeah, it yeah, sounds I like a nice you, place. But I, I, I don't remember that place at all. Um, but, yeah, like, just yesterday, um, there's a friend of mine. She's an actress. She's in L.A. Uh, she actually brought me to my first comedy open mic in Los Angeles. So uh-huh. she's a very special person to me. Um, but she has so many, like, excuses all the time. Like, she's been doing comedy for maybe, like, eight years now, but literally been on stage maybe eight times total. So that's why when people say, how long have you been doing comedy? I'm like, that doesn't, that question is so irrelevant to me. Like, what are you talking about? I hate that question so much. Um, And I said, I guess I said this to her, like, not too long ago. She was like, you know, recently you said to me, um, if you love comedy, then you would be, then you would be doing it right now and she was and that really hurt my feelings and i was like i was like i'm so sorry i hurt your feelings but i don't get it why is she well she's saying she's saying that like i i'm accusing her of having excuses which i am i 100 percent am 
And the thing is, I, I am sorry for hurting her feelings, but I don't disagree with what I said. I fully stand yeah. by what I said. Hmm. I mean, she has a, I guess she, you touch like a, a touchy. Yeah, touch a touchy. I hit a nerve with her because she <laughs> yeah. senses the truth to that. Yeah. But she yeah. continues to not to deny it. She recently got uh, diagnosed with adult ADHD. And she's not the only friend of mine who got this. Like two other girlfriends of mine also got diagnosed with adult ADHD recently. And they're sort of reexamining their lives retrospectively and mm -hmm. uh, or retroactively, whatever. And my other two friends, they recently got diagnosed as adults with autism. And so they're also sort of retroactively, retrospectively looking back at their lives and reexamining things. And that's big. That's big for them. But what this particular friend, the one who said that I'm, I said accused, I mean, I said hurtful things, she's saying that ADHD is an excuse for why she is not pursuing comedy, <laughs> which is fucking ridiculous to me, only because I have complex PTSD, I have depression and I have anxiety. My other friend who got recently diagnosed with ADHD, she's a comedian. The thing is, like, we can always come up with excuses to not do the things that we want to do, you know, and we do it all the time. I do it all the time. But that's on me. That's not on my friends who say accusatory things. It's not. It's only on me. So I said to her, I was like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I stand by what I said, but I don't like hurting my friends. And those are three sentences full and compact with my truth and that's mm. it that's all i can do that's all i could say yeah if she still has an issue with that i don't care <laughs> and there's still there, there's i think degrees of um yes yeah, like so there's someone that has like a very like nicole Bayer, the one that i'm listening to the podcast yeah uh, she who is a also a comedian she's but she's like she has a severe case but she's on medication you know like um and whatever and i do feel like some people can function a bit better than others yeah uh, it, it's very subjective if she's using it with as an excuse it doesn't really it's um maybe she cannot overcome it i do i felt like i had it so i i went to a psychiatrist and like she was like now <laughs> i was like i was like so sad i was like you were sad what? i was sad because i was like how can you explain yeah that i so many things that it's so hard for me to do them blah 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 and she's like well you have like extreme anxiety so that impairs you with blah 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 like doing so it, it, it i see for me it's, it takes um uh, new things like let's say if I want to study because now I'm thinking about studying something I cannot do them because it's like it makes me so anxious to start something new and like that it's Holds you back. a prolonged time and yeah and it, I was like so I'm very good at doing like things that are like in short amount of times and mm -hmm. stuff um, and there are very like I don't know I don't know how to explain it but the task oriented it, yeah so I'm very good at that but like when it's like something bro like it's really hard for me sure. and I was like oh no i hate this and it, it, it it's this is how i am and i have to upset that but it's a, it, it makes me very frustrated sometimes yeah. because i do have to schedule a lot of things because yeah. it makes me very anxious yeah. i have a lot of friends who you know like my other friend she has an extreme case of adhd too also a comedian and she <laughs> is also an actress also a voiceover i mean she's like very busy she has oh. like fifty thousand alarms on her phone so that she remembers 
like an audition so she remembers a show so that she remembers a mic you know like she has all like she has methods of coping with it you know she's also part of a group they do group therapy for adults with adhd so like she found all these ways of coping with it and also i didn't say what i said to my friend when i knew that she had adhd i didn't know that she had adhd Uh and also like you know like it's fine like i mean she's she's she found out about this diagnosis recently and she's sort of sifting things through and realizing things in a new way and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, and, and I don't take what she said to me as accusatory. That's why it was like, I was able to accept and say like, Oh, I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. Um, because that is what I'm sorry for. I don't want to hurt my friends. And then I said, Hmm. but I stand by what I said because that is my value. That's not, Hmm. that's not my judgment on her. Mm. that's just my value that's my fucking value if you love something you go after it without any restraint that's how it is for me that's comedy i go after it without any fucking restraint also when you were like oh like at the picnic grace was like oh she like drinks a lot and stuff like i remember that conversation i was i was telling the group i was like i don't know how to get up on stage without getting shit face drunk Mm. and uh, petra gave me the best advice she was like it's so scary to go up on stage because your body's full of nerves and adrenaline, but just get used to that without any alcohol. And then from then on, that will feel like the norm. And I was like, that is the best advice. And after she told me that, I think from my... She quit comedy. <laughs> yeah, but, but after, after my fifth time on stage, I never drank mm. alcohol again. All right, like I don't need alcohol anymore. Like I accepted Petra's advice fully. And then now, like before stage time, I never drink. I never smoke unless it's like a drinking and smoking kind of show, you know? <laughs> yeah. And but right I, now I, I don't I don't even drink alcohol anymore. And for like the last I week, I just kind of, you know, stopped smoking weed, too. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I'm oh, taking nice. a break from weed because it just I think it gives me a lot of um, pent up anxiety like the next day. Um, after a night of smoking weed, like all the built-up anxiety comes out, comes at me at once, and then I have to process it. So that's what yeah. I'm my doing. therapist. Um, well, when there was the first lockdown, I was like smoking a little bit, and it was, and I was feeling like whatever it is that I had that was bothering me. It was feel more intense, and yeah. she was like, "Yeah, weed, weed usually intensifies whatever feeling." Like, and I was like, "No, but like before, I used to make me calm." Yeah, and she's like, "Well, because maybe you were in a calmer state, so oh. it just makes you." And I was like, "But I'm never in a calm." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But I didn't know that. Because I, I always yeah. thought weed like suppresses emotions or yes. pushes them down. That's what that's no, what but she told me like if you are having like some emotional, it, it just makes it, it a bit more. Oh, so that makes sense. No, thank you for that insight. I did not know that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's I will good tell. To know. Yeah, I do remember like one time you you came to Slingshot after like one mic got cancelled. Yes, and I and I could see in your face. Oh my god, I, I could see in your face. You're like. I need the stage or I'm going to explode. <laughs> and I was like, you can be in stage in one minute. And she's like, yes. <laughs> and you went on stage and you fucking destroyed it in that room that it's so difficult. That room is so fucking difficult. And you were like, you were, uh, and, and Dan Stern was like, 
Why is she so good? Oh, really? <laughs> makes me shy. Thank you. That's so nice. No, I just remember that that day, like how good it felt, and I was so grateful to you and Dan. And then, like afterwards, you were like, you were like, your jokes were like up here, like you were like touching your throat. I was like, it was. That's exactly how I felt, you know. And um, it it just yeah. Like th- that's why like it's easy for me to give up alcohol and give up coffee mm. and give up weed because like you get coffee too. I gave up coffee before I met you, like in 2016. Yeah. Oh. But like, it's easy for me to give these things up because like comedy's my crack, and yeah, I don't need anything else really. I don't even have sex yeah. anymore. Like I'm like fine. Like I don't care. But you wanted to go back to the pony. I did want to. <laughs> I did want to get back on that pony, but um, like it's also it's not that urgent. So like I'm not really trying. Like what I did was I told all my friends that I want to meet somebody, and if they know somebody nice, to please introduce me. But that's it. Like that's the extent of it. I didn't go beyond that at all. Yeah, and I'm yeah. okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, I'm not in a yeah a rush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You probably don't get it, but I actually did have like. A, <laughs> You're like I have no idea what the fuck she's talking about. I, just a yes to yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, Grace. Okay. All right, uh huh. Good, good for you. No, I, I actually did have like um, some, how do I say, like sexual tension experience. 